Welcome to the Mary Gostolo Girl Ahead podcast, the weekly unique insight into luxury hospitality around the world by those who know it best. Brought to you by Jetex, the world's favorite private aviation company. Philip Boyan is a bit of an enigma. He has been variously a hotelier, and I know he'll talk about that. He has been in charge of Forbes Travel Guide. He is now wearing several hats. He's the ultimate networker, and I want to find out what value working with different clients is and how he benefits the hotel industry and what he thinks about the whole talent situation. Over to Philip. Philip, you wear many hats. How do you describe yourself? Well, Mary, how do I describe myself? So I started as a commis chef, right? School was obviously not for me because I remember very well that my maths teacher, when I was 17, he asked me a question that I couldn't answer. So he said to me, Mr. Boyan, you don't know very much, do you? Uh, but he said, look at it in a positive way because if you don't know very much, you can't forget very much, right? So I left school when I was 17. My father was not too pleased with that because my brothers and sister have all done university. So my father said, within a month, I want you to find a job and otherwise you leave the house. Right? So it was not like there was loving arms around me when I left school. So I started as a commis chef. I worked in a two-star Michelin restaurant in Belgium. And that's where I first discovered the level of commitment, the level of hard work, and the level of consistency to go that goes into creating service excellence and excellence of product. Oh, right? that, that, the, now that's where I think you're truly king because you so obviously are addicted to service excellence. Service excellence, which just runs through the entire hospitality sector. And the fact that you have this experience and you learned at the very beginning of the importance of consistency and the importance of being relied on to do what you were supposed to do. This must help you now because... Yeah, because I think it helps tremendously, Mary, because also to have started right at the bottom, to have mm. worked with people in the dishwash, in the, in the, in the kitchen, uh, peeling potatoes, doing all the basic jobs, which are absolutely necessary uh, in the process. I think it helps me because I still remember very well where I came from. And one thing I've learned is humility, first of all, and second of all, value those people that work in the basic jobs in your hotel because they are such an important part of your team. Because it has also helped me uh, in the future to understand what are the challenges of those people that are doing those difficult jobs. I mean, housekeeping, for example, is one of the toughest jobs, if not the toughest job in the hotel. Um, and a lot of people still don't realize that. But if you don't know what they are doing, if you don't know what makes them tick over, what motivates them, what their challenges are, it's going to be very difficult to be their leader. Now, if you know those things, uh, it is actually easier to be their leader because 
they feel that you respect them, they feel that you value their work, and they feel that you feel that they have an important role to play in the success of your company. And that makes all the difference. Philip, that's all very well, and I agree with you 100%. But you still have to have the, the person concerned, the leader, does have to have people skills. You can relate to people of any age and any level. How did you learn that, or was it inherent? I think it's. I think I've always been um, somebody that reaches out, that wants to connect socially. Uh, I've never had problems. Uh, there is people that go into a room and it's hard for them to connect with people. <clears throat> for me, it's not hard at all. And I don't know why that is. I've never thought about it. But I just love to talk to people. I love to uh, connect with new people. I, I love to hear new things and have conversations with people. And I think it was probably inherent. My mother is also very, very socially um, astute. She can go into a room with 100 people people and within an hour she's met everybody right my father my father was different my father was different he would stay back meet one or two people that he liked and spend the whole evening with them right oh philip and you start every day with coffee with friends at seven o'clock when you're in london but you're not in london quite so much at the moment because you are consulting advising a hotel company a mammoth train project and doing goodness knows what else. How does your experience help you when you are advising people now? So you're quite right. So we start every morning at seven o'clock. We have a coffee club. Um, there is about 12 to 13 people. Uh, we have about six, seven every morning because of course there's people in the financial world, there's people in the yachting world, there is lawyers, there's teachers. So it's a really interesting group. We have great conversation. It's only for half an hour, seven to 7.30 and then we all got off to work. But in my role now as a consultant, which by the way I love. So first of all, um, over a year ago I met with the chairman and the CEO of Corinthia. They asked me if I wanted to join the company. It's a really interesting company and most of all it's a company with people with a heart. They are nice people, right? That is really important. And if I want to give one example here, when COVID hit, of course, like every other company, they let people go. They reduced salaries of the management of the uh, corporate office. And when COVID was over, the chairman said, now we're going to pay everything, everybody back what we have not paid them during COVID and we're going to add 5% interest. So there is not many companies that have done that, right? Um, and that tells you a little bit um, because their, their um, purpose is uplifting lives. Their purpose is uplifting lives of employees, guests, and communities. So let's get this right, Philip. By going in for a percentage of time, you are fresh whenever you arrive, you're full of enthusiasm, and you can help Corinthia substantially. Do you think you can help them better by working for other people too? In other words, you're not working for competitors. How do you think Corinthia benefits by um, collaborating with 
Philip Boyan for a certain number of days? Well, first of all, um, from a qualitative perspective, because what's interesting with Corinthia, we are evolving from a company with one luxury hotel to a luxury hotel company over the next three years, right? We have eight openings in the pipeline over the next three years. Next year, we have New York, Rome, and Brussels all opening. And then we're building in the Maldives, we're building in the Rea Gate, etc., etc. So from a qualitative point of view, my experience in Forbes in Belmont is incredibly important. Also, the connections, Mary. I've been in this business for over 40 years, and obviously uh, I know a few people. And I've also found the general managers for, for example, for New York and for uh, Rome, which is truly important because it's all in the leadership, right? This is going to be critically important that we get those openings right because people will look at Corinthia and say, my God, these are beautiful properties, very well managed. And obviously that's going to help our development for the future. Now, my other client who is Paolo Barletta, uh, from Arsenale in Rome, who is building an incredibly sexy project, which is the Dolce Vita trains in Italy, which are going live next year. That's another perspective. But we're talking about the same clientele. We're talking about the same target market, because of course the US market will be very excited by that project, because it's basically a cruise on wheels, where the client can discover nine different destinations in Italy and where we do incredible experiences which are a very nice mix between authenticity and the wow factor. So we want some glamour also at night with private dinners in churches, in private museums. But during the day in the excursions, we will show them the real authentic side of Italy, right? Cooking with a grandmother, sitting in the garden, in the, sitting in the vineyards, in a, in a winery in Tuscany, etc. It's going to be an incredibly sexy project, right? And we're all very excited about it. You are a great interlocutor. You're quite right. You love to talk, and but I must interject at this stage. I'm getting the message that this great enthusiasm is able to give so much quali quality, not necessarily the quantity, but you can go in and give... Corinthia, just what they want, with a burst of enthusiasm. And then you can travel from Valletta in Malta to Rome in Italy, and you can do the same for Paolo. And you can give the kind of enthusiasm and ideas again, because you come in with all these fresh ideas. I am seeing you, Philip, more and more as the master of the world because you look at so much. You are also, think back to your coffee mornings, your daily coffee mornings, you're meeting the financial world. You're meeting friends who are not within the hospitality industry. You're connecting with the consumers, with the purchasers of, of the products. Why is the hotel industry in general so um, insular, do you think? Why do you think so many people in the hotel industry don't look outside? I don't know, Mary, because I'm here currently, you're talking to me, I'm in uh, Abu Dhabi, I'm at the Future Hotel Summit, 
the Future Hospitality Summit in Abu Dhabi, where I'm doing a panel tomorrow about people um, and about the challenges that we're currently facing in the hotel industry, which is still a shortage of labor um, and which is still related to the reputation and the image of the industry which is not 100% uh, and all together we need to do something about that um, we learn on a daily basis Mary we need to go outside we need to see the innovations that are being done in other um, in other industries and we need to adapt whatever we can having said that at the very same time um, we also don't have to look all the time of at what is changing in the hotel business. We also have to look at what is not going to change in the future. And have we, as we've seen after COVID, everybody was saying, oh my God, this is the new normal, etc., etc." Not much has changed, Mary. People still want service excellence. We are still humans at the end of the day with the same human needs. And what is that? Human connection. I always say about technology, um, we are never going to be high tech in the luxury industry. We're going to be high touch. And that's never going to change, right? The execution. But, you know, Philip, I think, think some things have changed that the consumer at luxury level wants everything they had before, but more so. They want even more value. I'm detecting that they don't care primarily about price at luxury level, but they care more and more about value. They want value for what they're getting. And when it comes to experiences, they want the entire stay to be an experience, not just, well, let's go out for half a day and look at a cathedral or something. They want the entire stay to be an experience. And that brings us back to the quality of the service that they're getting. Well, I completely agree with you, Mary. Um, let's not forget that in the five-star hotel business and the luxury sector, we, we, we keep competing with each other about 600 thread count sheets, about incredible bathrooms, incredible amenities, but let's not forget that most of those clients have that at home already and better. So what we are really competing about is service excellence and especially how can we create these emotional connections with our guests and as we know these emotional connections are coming through our people uh, people will not come back to your hotel because the bed was amazing even though that was a very nice experience and because of the shower had such water pressure they come back for the people so it is key that we train our people to make those emotional connections because to me if we do that and we create memorable moments, authenticity, um, that for me creates loyalty over time, right? For me, I feel very strong. Loyalty is not built with points. It has to be earned, right? And if I give you one example about an emotional connection, um, when I was at Raffles in Istanbul about a year and a half ago, um, I arrived there and they had already moved my luggage, by the way, from another hotel and they didn't know specifically which hotel, but they found out. Um, and the butler unpacked my luggage and did it wonderfully and all my suits were pressed and my shirts were pressed and my shoes were polished. Um, 
I went into the bathroom and there's this little cart and it says, Dear Mr. Boya, while I was unpacking your luggage, I could see that your toothpaste was running low. So I took the liberty of replacing it with the same brand.